The Brian McClanahan Show, episode 334. It's time to think locally and act locally. Welcome to The Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to have you back in the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Brian McClanahan. Like my Facebook page at Brian McClanahan. And subscribe to my YouTube page where you can watch this podcast at Brian McClanahan. Find all those social media accounts on my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com. That's B-R-I-O-N, McClanahan.com. While you're there, give me an email address. I'll give you a free ebook, Forgotten Founders, and a free audiobook of the same title read by yours truly. You can support the show by going to mclanahanacademy.com. It's always free to enroll. You get a free class when you do enroll. And those that enroll get the best deals on new courses. And I've got a new course out. If you're a member of McClanahan Academy, you already know what it is because you've already gotten a deal on it. So you want that deal because once it releases for everybody and I announce it publicly what it is, you're not going to get as good of a deal. So you want the deal now. Going out to McClanahan Academy, enroll, get the free class, get the best deals, purchase one of those classes that helps support this podcast, this free of charge podcast for you by purchasing one of those classes. And hey, you get great stuff with it too. It's, it's not like you're getting nothing for it. You're getting an awesome class or classes. I've got 13 classes now available for purchase. So you want to get one of those. Also, you can support the show by going to brianmcclanahan.com forward slash support. You can throw a few pennies my way, help keep these lights on, help keep the podcast going. You can purchase one of my books. It's a great way to support the show. Plus, you get a book out of it. I've got a new book out, Southern Scribblings. It's an awesome book, collection of 60 essays on the Southern tradition. You can support the show by getting some of your Brian McClanahan Show gear, whether it's my logo on something or the Think Locally, Act Locally logo on something. I've got a couple of different options out there, but either way, you support the show indirectly. And always, please share this show around on social media. Rate it wherever you get your podcasts. Do what you can to get people involved in it. One other way to support the show, go to Learn True, T-R-U-E, LearnTrueHistory.com. It's my affiliate link for Tom Woods Liberty Classroom, of course, I teach there as well. So a lot of great ways to support the show. Now let's talk about the subject for the show. And it's it, somebody sent me an email with this, and it was their training, their government-approved training for the bureau, bureaucratic department that they're in for the federal government. I'm not going to name it. It's probably similar to just about every bureaucratic department in the federal government. We're actually going to talk about bureaucracy in a couple of different ways in this podcast today. Uh, but it's probably the same training that everyone gets. It's on the Constitution. What does the government itself... Now, we're ta not talking about government schools. We're talking about the federal government, the general government, the national government teaching its employees about the Constitution. Now, we know anytime you go work for a government entity, and I've done this for years, you're going to have training on all kinds of things. All kinds of government training on, I mean, just about anything you can think of you're going to get government training. But in this particular case, because this individual works for the general government, they're going to get some training on the Constitution. This is the problem. When you read what they get out of this, and I'm just going to focus on a couple of different areas. This is the problem. Now, this individual said it reads like a third grade manual on the Constitution. I agree. I mean, but you've got to understand they've got to get it to the lowest common denominator because you have people working for the general government that probably barely made it through 
high school. I mean, so that that's the case. I mean, it, they so you got to put it to a point where they can they can get through it and understand it. Uh, this is why newspapers are written to an eighth grade level. If you want to read good writing, I remember when I was a, when I was in school and I was interested in writing. Uh, my my grandparents and parents used to tell me, "Don't read the newspaper to get to get examples of good writing because it's really not there." I mean, even when I write op-eds and other things, I'm aware of the of the reading level of most of the people that are going to read that material. Some are going to be people with advanced degrees. Others are going to be people that don't have that. And that's not a knock on those people, but you got you got to you got to be able to reach those people. So I don't really have a problem with the level of the writing. You got to, you've got to be able to reach people where they are and understanding that there are people out there that cannot read an advanced treatise on the Constitution. But the material, the, the, what's in it, the content itself is just embarrassingly bad. And it's embarrassingly bad in a way that I think would be uh, expected in this particular case because it's the national authority telling you what the Constitution means. So I, I want to go through this, and then I want to talk about this other piece that appeared in National Review today about the Confederacy and the bureaucratic state and where that thing misses the mark completely. Uh, and and it ha so it's the same thing. We're talking about bureaucracy here. This is from, this is from a government agency, bureaucracy, sending out this stuff on the Constitution. So first, the, the first line of this, the Constitution is the highest law in the United States. All the other laws come from the Constitution in some way. <laughs> now, you almost can't make up something so stupid. All other laws come from the Constitution in some way. So, when my legislator at the state level makes a law that's coming from the Constitution in some way, or when my city councilman makes a law that's coming from the Constitution in some way. But you see, people are going to read this that don't really know any better, and they're going to say, ah, well, sure, I mean, that's the Constitution. It's whatever. Why carry on my pocket Constitution? You see, this isn't a problem of left and right. This is a problem of America. <laughs> this is a problem of nationalism. This is why I am so hard on nationalism, because this is what you get from that. All of the laws come from the Constitution? Are you kidding me? That's just absolutely ridiculous. Let me get out my pocket constitution here and check if that state law came from this somehow. Let me check and see if that, let me see if the city councilman that just uh, passed this resolution on uh, whether we can have trash pickup on Wednesdays, uh, let's see if that somehow came from the constitution. Forget about the fact that there were states in existence before the constitution was actually written and ratified, that we had a United States before that that we had 13 independent states before that, that they were making all kinds of laws. But no, 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 all laws come from the Constitution in some way. In some way. I mean, I don't know, some way they come from that. <laughs> this, is, this is absolutely hilarious to me. But this is what you get from a bureaucracy. This is nationalism in action. Because nationalism creates one-size-fits-all, lowest common denominator, stupid government. Okay, so just remember that. That's what nationalism gets you. It gets you all the stuff we're seeing in America right now. That's what it gets you. 
The Constitution also provides a framework for the government of the United States by creating the presidency, the Congress, and the Supreme Court. Over time, some things have been added to the Constitution. These additions are known as amendments, and these provide many of our privileges or rights. These provide many of our No, I mean, so for, no, they, we don't have them until the Constitution provides them. You see, you don't have... Uh, the general government can't infringe... Uh, the general government created your ability to speak freely or free press or free religion or right to keep and bear arms or uh, against cruel and unusual punishments. These are things the general government created just for you. Aren't they nice? It's like they're a different version of Santa Claus. It's great. Forget about the fact that you had these things, and in fact, these things were codified in state constitutions before the Bill of Rights was written in 1791. So, I mean, it just, this is just silliness. It's just silly stupidness. But, I mean, that's, that's again, this is what nationalism from the... Uh, Education, the Department of Education. This is Orwellian stuff, right? I mean, this is what you get when you get big government. History. The Constitution is over 200 years old. From May to September 1787, the men, known as the Framers, met in Philadelphia and discussed what should be included in the Constitution. This meeting is known as the Convention. It is said that the Constitution was born in compromise because only by compromising could all the disagreements be resolved. Ben Franklin said he was not sure if the plan was perfect, but it was, it was probably as perfect as it could be. So, I mean, heck, if Ben Franklin said it, <laughs> then we just had to have it. You know, I mean, because Ben Franklin, I mean, the guy's a plumber. You know, and who doesn't like your plumber? Who doesn't like it when your plumber comes out and tells you something's good? So, look, and the guy invented, he invented electricity too. Didn't you know that? I mean, and he has 80 illegitimate children somewhere in Europe running around, too. After the convention ended, the Constitution had to be approved, ratified by the 13 original states. The Constitution actually said that only nine states had to agree to the Constitution, but everyone wanted all the states to agree. <laughs> so, well, no, uh, it said that only nine states had to ratify the document. And it was in effect when nine states, four states could have not ratified it. They would have been independent states. Certainly, everyone wanted all the states to agree to it, but that didn't mean it was going to happen that way. New Hampshire was the ninth state to ratify. North Carolina and Rhode Island were the last two to agree to the Constitution. After the government was already in effect. They don't, they don't get to that point. These two states were essentially independent countries. One of the biggest reasons people opposed the Constitution was because it lacked a Bill of Rights. A Bill of Rights is a list of rights that belong to the people that the government is not allowed to break. Which government? I mean, the state governments, the central government. Of course, the Bill of Rights applies only to the central government as the preamble to the Bill of Rights states, but regardless. Some of these rights might sound familiar. The right to free speech, the right to practice your own religion, and the right to be silent if accused of a crime. A list of 12 changes were sent to the states in 1791. Ten of those changes were accepted and added to the Constitution. These ten changes are known as the Bill of Rights. Well, not really changes to the Constitution. <laughs> it's, it's, they're not changes. They haven't changed anything. They simply codified what the ratifiers thought that the Constitution could not do. I mean, again, I've got a whole class on this, American Constitutions. It's better than this, but this is for a good laugh. I mean, this is fun. How it all works. The Constitution sets up three main branches of government. These are called the legislative, the executive, and the judiciary. Each one 
has its own role in how laws are made and used. The role of the legislature is to make the law. The legislature is called the Congress and is made up of the House of Representatives and the Senate. Each representative comes from a district, district in one of the states. Well, wait a second. What about the Senate? It doesn't come from a district in one of the states. The senators were supposed to represent the states. What happened to them? It's kind of got left out. They don't represent a district. Well, I guess you could say if the states are just mere administrative districts of the general government, like this bureaucratic agency thinks that they're an administrative district of the government, well, then I guess it all doesn't matter again. We have district. We should just rename the states. I call just, I mean, look, let's just drop all pretenses of what we're doing here. Let's just rename the states. We're going to start in alphabetical order. That's district one. And we'll just have 50 districts. Let's have 50 districts out there. Uh, we can forget about the states doing anything because clearly all the laws come from the Constitution in some way. I mean, some way. They just come from the Constitution. So we should just have 50 districts. And then in that, we should just call all the counties, just start numbering off counties. So we would just start in the state, you know, alphabetical order. Uh, and we would just go down. Uh, and so if that state has, you know, 200 counties, well, then we just, that's then district, at the end, that's district 250. Because those are, you know, districts, or we could say like S and for like sub-district, you know, come up with some kind of number. Because those are just that. And we'll just have the general government legislate for everything. I mean, they'll, they'll decide uh, when, these, when these districts can hold, you know, political meetings and what the police is going to do and uh, when your trash is going to be picked up. They can decide all of that stuff from Washington, D.C. because really all the laws come from the Constitution in some way. So, I mean, if that's the case, we should just call it this. The role of the executive is to make sure the law is carried out. The executive is headed by the president, includes the vice president, the secretaries of all the national departments. The national departments. These are just departments. These include things like the Department of State, the Department of Treasury. I mean, so these are just national departments. So again, we should just have districts of the national departments. I remember years ago, I knew a guy, uh, and he, he ran for governor of Oklahoma, and he suggested, he actually, I, I think he presented the bill abolishing the state of Oklahoma in the legislature and just calling it the district, federal district of Oklahoma because what's the point of having it if you can't do anything? If the general government's going to overrule everything you do, which, by the way, was expressly knocked down at the Philadelphia Convention. Oh, I'm sorry, that's just the convention. Expressly knocked down at the convention. If that's, uh, if that's the case, I mean... We never would have had a constitution because this is something the founders never would agree to. The last branch is the judiciary. This includes all the federal courts up to the Supreme Court. States have their own court systems that fall underneath the national court system. Oh, so those state court systems are just administrative subdivisions of the national court systems because they fall underneath. So they don't have their own sovereignty or authority over anything. No, no. Because they fall underneath. In fact, the role of the judiciary is to interpret the law. Really? I mean, you got me on that one. I, I've looked all through Article uh, Article 3 of the Constitution. I can't find that in Article 3. There it says the judiciary is supposed to interpret the law. Now, we know that's how it, some of the founders thought it would work. But, I mean, this, ladies and gentlemen, is the is the, a nice example of the stupidity of modern America and modern American education. This is it. 
And then you couple that. Well, I don't even know if I want to get into this because this has been so much fun just talking about this thing. But I, I will. Uh, you couple that with the argument that everything bad in America comes from the Confederacy. And you've got the double whammy. And this is coming from the right now. They say everything bad in America comes from the Confederacy. In fact, this title of this piece at National Review is The Confederate Roots of the Administrative State. And uh, the writer, who is uh, Dan McLaughlin, Dan McLaughlin, uh, comes out and says, look, here's where the Constitution eroded the... the uh, the separation of powers and popular sovereignty. It eroded it, took it away. Things like uh, authorizing the Congress to give the heads of the executive department a non-voting seat on the House floor, an imitation of British cabinet practice. Now, uh, the single, the single term, six-year term, no prospect of re-election. Congress cannot appropriate funds not requested by the president or by the heads of the executive departments, and a line item veto in appropriations limited to single subject bills. So, first of all, I mean his his complaint about executive government he he actually s- contradicts himself in just a couple of paragraphs. What this guy misses is that the Confederate. Constitution was the byproduct of the Jeffersonian understanding of American government. Which, of course, would fit nicely into the idiotic position of someone like Stephen Knott, who says that all the things that ail America go back to Thomas Jefferson. It's all Jefferson's fault. Because if we just had good Hamiltonian government, we wouldn't have any of the stuff that we have right now. So the Confederate Constitution got rid of the spoil system, for the most part, which... Uh, by the way, uh, the spoil system was done away with in the United States, not by Woodrow Wilson, but by the Pendleton Act, which had to do with the fact that you had a president assassinated. <laughs> uh, this is why we got the Pendleton Act, right? So you, if you don't know this, I mean, this is where this guy is just so... These, these people are so infatuated with blaming the Confederacy for anything. I mean, it's always on their mind. The Confederacy, the Confederacy, the Confederacy. That they can't think, wait a second here, we had the Pendleton Act of 1887, which was passed by the Congress. Why? Because you had the assassination of James Garfield. But that's where that comes from, right? The Pendleton Act. The Pendleton Act. So civil service reform, which made the entire general government essentially not subject to the spoil system, and created this big bureaucracy. But no, it had nothing to do with that. It's all about the Confederacy. You see, if it wasn't for the Confederacy, Woodrow Wilson wouldn't have thought of this stuff. Except when he assumed office, it was already there. You couldn't fire people in the government. Now, a couple of these other things, which are he, he mentions. Uh, the heads of the executive department sitting in the House, this was actually debated in the first Congress. And it was decided at that point that they wouldn't do it. But there, was, there were people in the first Congress that wanted to do it. They wanted to have Hamilton come on down to the Congress and make his pitch for the Bank of the United States in person in the Congress. There was that idea. I mean, th- this is stupidity that you somehow think this all comes from the Confederate Constitution. This was debated in the first Congress. 
the idea that a president has a limited single six-year term didn't make the president any more, any more difficult to deal with than the modern presidency. In fact, you could say this is an improvement. Why was it an improvement? Because the president wasn't having to worry about re-election all the time. Imagine right now what would be happening in America if Trump wasn't up for re-election this particular year. We might be seeing different policies right now. Imagine if uh, Woodrow Wilson wasn't up for re-election, and we'll use Wilson, in 1916. If he had just been there a couple more years, his campaign slogan, he kept us out of war. Now, we probably would have gotten in the war a lot quicker, but imagine if he didn't have to, or Barack Obama sitting there saying, hey, look, uh, talking to Medvedev, hey, um, yeah, I got this election thing coming up, and... Uh, you know, my hands are kind of tied right now because I'm running for re-election. But once the election's over, I mean, I'll I'll do what I'll do whatever you want, essentially. Just, but I got this election thing, so I got to go lift weights, got to go pump some iron here for a minute, and I'll come back. Look at my pumping iron video online; it's really good. I mean, I'm 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 kicking. I mean, I'm 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 just I'm I'm sweating it out. You got to look at the weights I lift. So, I mean, this is this is an improvement. The line-item veto? Well, gee, during the Clinton administration, the Republicans tried to give Bill Clinton a line-item veto. Why? Because that's a good improvement. Uh, the appropriations limited to single-subject bills. This is a Jeffersonian desire going all the way back to Jefferson's administration. I mean, this is, this is what earmarks really are for. So you can see how people are spending the money. Now, of course, barring Congress from appropriating funds with, with a few limited exceptions, not requested by the president, by the heads of the... This is what we do now, essentially. We work off the presidential budget. This is what we do now. So all of these things are stupid. And then he says, third, while strengthening the executive and providing explicitly for executive departments, the Confederate restrictions on removals watered down presidential control of the executive branch. The limitations on removing civil servants introduced for the first time in America, a system of bureaucrats who cannot be fired at will by elected officials. It was a direct assault on what is now known as the unitary executive, under which all executive powers power answers to the president. That theory still remained ascendant in the Union after Abraham, under Abraham Lincoln would follow and would form Andrew Johnson's successful defense against impeachment later in the decade for firing his secretary of war. Now, there actually was a debate in the first Congress again if the president could remove a secretary. This is something that was talked about. And the Congress decided not to do it that way. In fact, the Constitution is silent on this issue. So there was uh, the theory that the president could be restricted in removing someone if the Congress wanted to set it up that way. This goes all the way back to the first Congress. So these issues that the Confederate states dealt with were things that were discussed 80 years before this in the first Congress and in the state ratifying conventions and in the Philadelphia Convention. This stuff didn't originate in the Confederacy. That's how stupid this idiot is. Stupid. But see, they've got Confederate, Confederophobia, in fact, in fact, on their brain all the time. It's Confederophobia. Anything that's wrong in America goes back to the Confederacy. So, We've got stupid coming from the departments. We've got stupid coming from conservatives. We've got stupid coming from the left. I don't know. We just got a whole bunch of stupid out there, and it's really quite troubling. So I went a little longer than I wanted to on this, but I wanted to hit those couple of things, and maybe I'll talk more about this National Review piece in the next episode of The Brian McClanahan Show. But until then, have a good weekend. I'll see you next week. See you then. <laughs>